0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, We are Romola and Paul Gogan, and we've made TCC our home since 2006. Uh, So today, we are pleased to read from the book of
1: Acts, specifically chapter 2, verses 36 through 47.
0: Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness
1: of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call.
0: With many other words, he warned them, and he pleaded with them.
1: Save yourselves from this corrupt generation.
0: Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Paul and Ramola. And good morning to Williger Community Church. Well, I heard an interesting word this week that I had never heard before, and that word is doom-scrolling. Have any of you heard this word, doom-scrolling? Apparently, it is a real word um, that came into being used during the pandemic, and doom-scrolling is the act of consuming an endless procession of negative online news. Doesn't that sound wonderful? And the way doom scrolling works as kind of the descriptor of it is, you know, imagine someone who's settling in for the night, they go to, they get into their bed, they turn off the lights, but instead of closing their eyes and going to sleep, they reach for their smartphone or their device and they just start scrolling, be it on Twitter, be it on Facebook, be it on the news feed of their choice, and they basically blast themselves with all the negative news and all the negativity and all the bad news of things going on in the world. And when we think about even this past few months and the past couple of years, is there any shortage of bad news in our world today? When we think about it, whether it's racial injustice, the pandemic and its many effects on families and on our economy and our lifestyle, be it the school shootings we hear about in the U.S., be it the economy and housing and gas prices that just won't seem to come down, to a war in Ukraine, There's no end to all of the bad news that you and I get to be exposed to on a day-to-day basis. So in relation to doom scrolling, psychologists encourage people to put their phones away and to do what? To focus on good news, right? Stop looking at the bad news. Instead, look at the good news. The bad news produces anxiety and depression and all sorts of things. We need more good news. So people are looking for good news. They're looking for good news, be it to distract themselves from all of the the bad news in the world. They're looking for good news that they might hear or receive in order to resource themselves so that they can overcome maybe some bad news or obstacles in their own lives. They're looking for good news that reports that the bad news might just be overcome. People are looking for good news, searching to find news that gives us a sense that everything is going to be okay. Are you desperate for that sometimes? <laughs> I know that I am. And good news certainly does come, doesn't it? As much as we have all this bad news that comes at us, we also hear these this amazing reports of human success people overcoming obstacles. We hear about human creativity, people creating good and beautiful things in the midst of darkness. We hear about human triumph, people overcoming impossible obstacles. We hear about innovations that address the various forms of bad news that come. And the innovations that help us to take steps to overcome those. We hear about human sacrifice and people giving of themselves for the sake of others. We hear about relational reconciliation and racial reconciliation. And all of these things are indeed forms of good news. But as I think about that, I can't help but be maybe a little pessimistic to the reality that all those forms of good news are not going to last forever. If the pandemic taught us anything, it's that our health is not guaranteed. One day or another, we're all going to pass away. Great jobs, great employment opportunities, as amazing as it is when they come, they will eventually pass away as well. The markets and the economy, it seems to rise and fall. Wars are still being fought. As soon as we hear about peace in one area of the world, a war seems to pop up in another. So in this sense, much of the good news we hear and look for is only temporary, isn't it? So we wrestle with all of this bad news and we look for the good news, but even the good news that we find seems to be fleeting. But what if there was a good news that wasn't simply a distraction from the disappointments of our world and the difficult news of our world? What if there was a good news that wasn't simply temporary? What if there was a good news that was unshakable and unaffected by health scares or relational fallout or economic crisis, war, or death? And what if this good news that's out there is so great that it actually helps us to process and understand all of the bad news that we're hearing on a day-to-day basis. Friends, I want to stand up here and talk to you under the title, There's a Good News That Endures. My faith in God, my trust in Jesus, my faith in God's Word and all that He has written and delivered to us in the Bible teaches me that there is indeed Good news that endures. There is indeed a good news that no matter the bad news in the world, this good news still triumphs. There is a good news that does not pass away. There is a good news that has been proclaimed for thousands of years and it is unchanging. There is a good news that endures. And for 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have proclaimed this good news through good seasons and bad. No matter the brokenness, no matter the crisis, no matter the despair, the famine, the, the pandemics, the uncertainty, this good news has been proclaimed and it has never been changed. The message has remained the same. So what is this good news? Well, if you're new here to TCC, maybe you're new to Christianity or the faith, um, this message will be very informative for you because I want to unpack a bit of what it is we actually believe as Christians. When we talk about our belief being anchored and rooted in what we call the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's important for us to ask the question, well, what is that? And so hopefully for those of you who are here maybe with lots of questions, uh, perhaps I can begin to answer some of those today. For others of you, maybe like me, you've grown up in the church. And you've heard the gospel talked about over and over and over again, the good news of Jesus Christ over and over and over again, and you might have this temptation to say, can we just move past that? Friends, I want to say that the good news of Jesus Christ is not something we ever move past. There are riches and depths and treasures in the good news of Jesus Christ that we are going to spend our lives unpacking. So I encourage you this morning to posture yourselves to receive from the Holy Spirit what He has for you today as you reflect on the good news of Jesus Christ. And just quickly, I want to define some terms. Oftentimes we use the phrase gospel in church. Maybe you've heard gospel. Um, the gospel is what we will read in our Bibles. We, we have that word translated from the Greek euangelion. Uh, very simply, if you translate it, it, it very simply means good news. So I'll be using those two words uh, interchangeably this morning. So this morning we had a portion of Acts chapter 2 read for us. I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to be pulling it out and take notes this morning. If you do not have a Bible with you, there's some available at the tables uh, where we come in. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep one as a gift from us. Um, But I want to unpack Acts chapter 2 by looking to answer the question, what is the good news? Because we need to remember as we read um, in Acts, we're reading... uh, A letter written to a man named Theophilus. And this letter, the whole purpose of it is to share the details of Christianity to this man, Theophilus. So he writes the Gospel of Luke to talk about the life of Jesus Christ. And then he writes the book of Acts to talk about the continued work of Jesus Christ in Jesus' followers and how they lived that out. And in doing so, Luke is a historian. He is laboring and working very hard to present the facts, to present to Theophilus what indeed happened. So we have a a good writer in in Luke here. And so when we get to Acts chapter 2, we see that in Acts chapter 2, this good news is proclaimed. Luke is demonstrating for us how it is proclaimed. In addition to that, he's demonstrating how people should respond to it. And as well, the result of the proclamation and the result as we see in the early church. John Stott uh, provides a really helpful outline for us to understand the gospel proclamation or the good news proclamation. Uh, So I'll be using his framework as we look at this. Uh, So let's dive into it. First, we see that the good news of Jesus Christ is about two events. It's about two events. The death and the resurrection of Jesus Peter's speech addresses the crowd's accusations as we read here in Acts. Um, What prompts this message is that uh, the, the Holy Spirit has come upon the people of God and they're speaking in different languages. The crowds are looking at them and saying, what is wrong with you? Are you guys drunk? And Peter gets up to address this accusation. He says, no, we are indeed not drunk. But he goes on to say that the day the Jews had been waiting for, the thing that they have been hoping for, the thing that they have been anticipating, the Messiah. They're waiting for this Messiah figure, the Savior to come and deliver them from the Romans. Now, it looks different than they thought it did. But Peter is saying, guys, the day has now come. The day has arrived. The Messiah is here. Your Savior is here. And it's been brought about by these events. By what events? By the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Peter's message holds his audience responsible for Jesus' death which is really interesting how how would you feel if someone get up and said you crucified Jesus well, that's what he says to them but because Jesus conquered death he proved to be the long awaited for messiah the savior the christ what's amazing about these two events is that peter just places them very simply in his story, in in history he's not debating whether or not these events happened He's not debating whether or not Jesus was a historic figure or if Jesus died. The debate, rather, is whether or not Jesus was who he said he was. And as much as the bad news you and I hear about are rooted in real events, right? When we hear about bad news, it's all rooted in real events. So, too, these events, Jesus' death, Jesus' resurrection, are two real events. They happened in history. These two events become the basis of the good news that you and I declare. These two events are so foundational that if the resurrection of Jesus did not take place, Christians are to be pitied. The Apostle Paul writes that in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, if the the resurrection never happened, it's embarrassing to be a Christian. That's ridiculous. People should pity us for following this Jesus if he did not rise from the dead. But friends, he did indeed rise from the dead. And in these two events, the death and resurrection of Christ, God demonstrates for us his love. God demonstrates for us his love. Familiar passages like John 3:16 for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, or Romans chapter 5 verse 8, but God demonstrated his own love for us in this that while we were still sinners, Christ died For us, these two events are just not two things that happen, but it is a demonstration of God reaching out to humanity, of God crossing the chasm that separated Himself from us. How did He cross that chasm? He sent His Son. And then His Son sends the Spirit, and by the Spirit, you and I are able to be in a real relationship with God, the Creator of all things. The one who knows the beginning from the end. He wants to be in relationship with you. He wants to know you. How do you know that? The death and resurrection of Jesus. God wants to walk with you in your day-to-day life. How do I know that? Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. These two events that happened in history. John Stott's framework goes on. Not only do we have two events, but we have two witnesses that we see in this passage. The prophet's and the apostles, two witnesses, the prophets and the apostles. Now this is important because Peter doesn't simply proclaim the good news message. But he provides evidence for the message itself. And he provides evidence by saying that these events were anticipated. These events were foreseen and they were witnessed. First, let's look at the prophets. The prophets. Peter references multiple Old Testament passages in this message. And in doing so, he's highlighting for the people that what has happened, these events of the death and resurrection of Jesus, were anticipated by the prophets. We read about this all happening in the Old Testament. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, we have the first prophecy that someone is going to come and deliver people from the problem of sin. We go on to Moses. We read in the law. Where in the law we have this anticipation of one who is greater than Moses will one day come. We move over to David and and we have this prophecy, this covenant made with, with, with King David. Where God promises that someone will come and sit on your throne, David. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom. His dominion will never end. Can you imagine? We move on to Isaiah to read about the suffering servant, the one who is going to come and redeem Israel. And then the prophet Joel that we have Peter referencing, where he's talking about the coming of the last days and the sending of the Spirit. All of this, a witness. Jesus' death and resurrection was not just some random event in history, but it had been anticipated for hundreds of years. That's the prophet's. In addition to this, we have the witness of the apostles themselves. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are what? Witnesses of it. We saw it happen. We walked with the risen Jesus. This happened. We saw it. Witnesses are very important, aren't they? Especially in our world of advertising. Um, I can remember when the Popeye's chicken uh, was starting to open up in Edmonton. You know, they had had their restaurants popping up and their advertisements and people are saying, this is some great chicken. I was not convinced. I'm like, whatever. I don't really like fried chicken anyway. But it was the witness of Pastor (laughs) Norbjenke coming to me and saying, Adam, you have to try Popeye's fried chicken. He witnessed to me. He told me about it. He told me how good this sandwich was and that I had to have one. And it was, it was quite good. I ain't gonna lie. But do you understand the difference? Just a message thrown out there doesn't mean a whole lot. But when a message has a witness, it has a, a new kind of power. I remember two weeks ago when I talked about the replacement of Judas and how important that was because Peter didn't stand up by himself, but he stood up there with 11 other men and he declared to them, we are witnesses. There's 12 of us here. The number 12 is important in in Hebrew thinking. 12 is a, a number of completeness within representing the whole of Israel. It's like the whole of Israel is, bears witness to the fact that Jesus Christ not only lived, but he died and he rose again. And because he rose again, he is who he said he is. He is the Savior. And these witnesses, if the, if, if the events of Christ's death and resurrection point us to the love of God, these witnesses testify to us about the God who is with us. All through the Old Testament, what's up with all these messages of God reaching out to humanity and speaking to them over and over and over again, pursuing them with love? Why? Because he wants to be with them. And how much more so when God chooses to come and dwell among his people in in human form, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, living and breathing, eating meals with the apostles, sleeping under the stars with them while they're on their journeys. Coming into the real heartache and brokenness of humanity. Touching those who are sick and healing them. Delivering those who are oppressed by a demon. This is not a God who is far off. This is a God who is with us. He is with us. Well, this concludes Peter's sermon. He gets to the end of his message and He corrects the crowd's assumptions about why the disciples were acting the way that they were. And he proclaims the the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. He places it in the context of Old Testament prophetic fulfillment. And he declares Jesus to be the awaited Savior of Israel, the Messiah, the Christ. Christ is not Jesus' last name, by the way. uh, It means Messiah, the Savior, But John Stott's framework goes on for us. So if he has presented the the two events, he's presented the two witnesses, we have now the two responses, repentance and baptism. If you have your Bibles, you can read with me in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They hear this message that about these two events, the death and the resurrection. They hear the witnesses. They are convinced and they're standing there. Peter just said, you're the ones who killed Jesus. Hey, what do we do? How do I respond to this love of God? How do I respond to this God who wants to be with me? Well, these two responses were as true for this crowd 2,000 years ago as they are for us today. Repent and be baptized. Baptized. Now, repentance is not simply saying you're sorry or regretting your behavior, but it's a commitment to reorient your mind and your will towards God and His desires. In the Greek, repentance literally means to change the mind. I think a good way to explain this is to ask the question, have you ever gotten a speeding ticket? (laughs) Maybe a few of us, okay. Now, we might be sorry that we got a speeding ticket. We might feel bad for breaking the law, but really we're probably only sorry for the fact that we got caught, right? If we're we're really honest, right? That's not repentance. That's just saying, I'm sorry that I got caught speeding. Repentance, though, would involve a change in mind about the value of driving the posted limit. No amens. Come on, guys. Repentance would involve a change in mind about the value of driving the posted limit. Not driving the limit because you want to avoid getting caught, but driving the limit because you believe that it is right. So when Peter is saying, you guys need to repent, he's not just saying, just just say you're sorry to God and everything will be okay. No, he's inviting them to a total change of their minds. Come to see the world differently. In the language of Jesus, it was an invitation to come and be a part of his kingdom. Turn away from your kingdom and turn to Jesus' kingdom. Turn away from the kingdoms and the value systems of the world and turn towards God's kingdom and His value system. That's repentance. We read in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, again, the familiar passage, Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. That is repentance and action there. Friends, we rightly respond to the good news by turning ourselves from living our own way to living God's way. Well, the second activity called for is the the response of baptism. Now, baptism is an outward sign of an inward faith and an expression of faith and commitment to Jesus as Lord. If repentance is something that takes place kind of in our hearts and minds as we work that out with the Lord in prayer— Baptism is an outward expression. Now, baptism was not unique to Christianity. Um, we need to remember, even in the context of Scripture, uh, John the baptizer went around baptizing people. He would, he would call them to the river, and his baptism, they say, was one of repentance. So people who wanted to repent for their sin, they'd come into the water, John would baptize them as kind of their profession, their public declaration, uh, that they are trying to live their best for God. In addition to this, those who converted to Judaism in the early first century were also known to be people who were baptized. So they would, they would baptize Jewish converts. So this concept of baptism was not lost on Peter's audience. It was not new. Uh, if it was new, I think we should be shocked that 2,000 people got baptized that day. Um, and so in Acts 2, we see baptism take a shift, though, because they are baptizing now in Jesus' name. Baptism here becomes the defining mark that sets believers in Jesus, the Messiah, apart from the non-believers. It's not the immersion in the water itself that's important, but on the reason or the basis for it. These people were baptized in Jesus' name. In baptism, we identify with the death of Jesus. We have this powerful symbolism of going under the water as if to be dead and then brought back up, coming into new life. So a public, declar- a public baptism is us saying, look friends, I have died to my old way and now I'm living a new way. That is the picture we have in, in baptism. It's a picture of repentance. But in addition to this, baptism, in, in baptism we identify, uh, we, not, we not only identify with the death of Jesus, we also identify with the community of believers. It's us coming out of the water and saying, I am part of this baptized community. I am part of others who have died to their old way of life and are now living a new life. I am now part of this family. This is why um, the Apostle Paul actually uses baptism as a basis for accountability uh, in the book of Romans. Where he points to baptism and says, Friends, haven't you been baptized? Aren't you living the baptized life? So baptism, of course... um, was an incredibly important part in the early church and we continue to keep it as an important part in our church today. My invitation to you this morning is if you have any questions about baptism for yourself, whether you've been baptized or not, or you're you're curious about baptism, please, please, please come and talk to us. We would love to have a conversation about baptism with you. So how do you respond to God's love and his pursuit of us in the person of Jesus Christ? Repentance and baptism. We give him ourselves. We take a posture that says, Lord, not my will, but yours. We take a posture that says, Lord, I desire your way, your heart. I identify with you, with your death and your resurrection. And I identify with you above and beyond all else. That is how we respond. So there's two events, there's two witnesses. There are two responses, and we have two promises. Two promises, forgiveness and the Spirit. So in the context of Peter's sermon, the hearers were struck with the reality that they had missed that Jesus was the Messiah. They missed it, and they were grieved about that. Peter clearly highlights that they were the ones who killed Jesus. But friends, we have all done this. Maybe we did not literally condemn Jesus to death. Of course, we were not alive 2,000 years ago. But we, like those first hearers of this gospel message, have rejected God's love and God's presence in our lives. We too, like these first hearers, have rejected God's way and desired to go our way instead of his. This is what the Bible calls sin. This means that we all need forgiveness. Forgiveness is God's grace coming to us. Forgiveness is not treating us as our sins deserve, but absolving us from the consequences of our sins. We live in a world where it's so easy for us to walk around and say, I'm not good enough. To walk around with this, I should do this, I should do that, I should do that, I should do that, I should do that. And when we can't live up to our shoulds, we feel like we're not good enough. We live in the world where we think, man, if only I could be this, that, or the other thing. Or we might look at God and, God, if only you knew my insufficiencies. If only you knew the things that I have done. If only you knew, fill in the blank. But friends, that is the very moment where God's grace comes to us. Where the events of Jesus' death and resurrection, His love meets us in those spaces where his presence longs to be with us. And friends, God sees our brokenness. He sees our missteps. He sees our insufficiencies and he embraces us with love and says that because of Jesus, he does not hold any of this against us. Jesus looks at us and says, I'm not going to treat you as your sins deserve. He forgives us. So as we respond to him in repentance and, 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 and baptism, he forgives us. But in addition to that, he gives us the Holy Spirit. We talked a lot about this last week, but just to summarize briefly, the, the Holy Spirit is a gift from God, the indwelling power of God in our lives. In Romans, we read that the same Spirit, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, is living in us. That's pretty powerful. <laughs> That's pretty amazing, do not think? And the gift of God's Spirit comes upon us and it points us to Jesus and helps us to understand His will. It enables us to say no to our flesh or our sinful nature and helps us to say yes to God. God's Spirit produces in us the character Of Jesus. Of these two, uh, forgiveness and the Spirit, John Stott writes this that together these constitute the freedom which many are seeking freedom from guilt, defilement, judgment, and self centeredness, and freedom to be the persons God made us to be. Friends, do you hear the good news? Do you hear the good news? God created us. He knows what is best for us. He knows how we're going to thrive and experience the absolute best life that He made us to experience. He has a will and a way that is perfect. It might not always make sense to us. We might not even agree with it sometimes, but it is the best way. And instead of leaving us and abandoning us to our own will and our own way... He sent his son, these two events, his death, his resurrection, he made a way for us to be in relationship with him. Do you hear the good news? So, as we live in relationship with God, we are empowered by his spirit to live out that life that he has made us for, to watch it infuse every area of our lives, all of our relationships. In the words of the hymn writer, it gives us strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. This good news conquers death itself. That those who have faith in Jesus will not die, but like him will raise to life in the last days. And we say something like that here in the 21st century, and it sounds insane, <laughs> but it's true. At the end of your life, you will give an account. This life is not all there is. There's something beyond it. So whatever it is you think about what is beyond life, you better be pretty sure about it. Because it's happening no matter what you think about it. But friends, do you hear the good news? Jesus meets us where we are at. And he brings new life. Friends, I truly believe that these gifts reach into the bad news of our world and our understanding of it. And what I love about that is the temptation we have with bad news is to just sweep it under the rug. I don't want to listen to the bad news. I don't want to deal with the bad news. But the good news of Jesus Christ helps us to understand the bad news, to see it the way that God sees it, And helps us to respond to the bad news the way that God would have us respond to it. And I love our church, TCC, we we do this in so many ways. I think about the crisis, the war in Ukraine, and the way that our church just rallied around. We saw the bad news, but we didn't just look at the bad news and say, oh, let's sweep that away. Instead, it was, what can we do and we watched as our church responded and gathered resources and raised funds in order to help Ukrainian refugees come to Canada. And we are so excited that the Shula family is, has arrived here. And that is a result, friends, of the good news being worked out of this community. Praise the Lord. I think about our plea a few months back, maybe a year back, for our Cooking Connect ministry, which is a ministry to help and resource single moms in our city. We didn't have enough volunteers. We put that need out and watch the church respond to see the good news of Jesus Christ flow through this community as they lovingly serve these single moms in our community. Friends, this is good news. Well, Peter uh, goes—sorry, well, Luke goes on to document the fruit of the good news. The good fruit of the good news. And I am very much out of time, so I'm not going to get into this. Um— But when we read in Acts chapter 2, the fellowship of the believers, we read that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold their property and their possessions and gave to everyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying favor with all the people. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Do you see the connection here? Peter gets up and addresses this crowd of Jews. He says, guys, there's two events. There's two witnesses. There's two responses. There's two gifts. They receive those gifts. And what is birthed from that moment It's this amazing, radical community. A community of worship. A community centered on Jesus. A community that served one another as well as the community beyond them. It was a community of unity and fellowship. It was a community of mission. And I love the picture of the church in Acts 2. And I think we're going to be talking about it in the weeks ahead the many ways that, um, that the Spirit moved in the church. My question for you this morning is, what does this good news mean to you? In hearing this message proclaimed, what does it resonate in you? Maybe you're questioning Christianity. Maybe you're just checking out church and God and faith, and you're thinking about even the events of Christ's death and resurrection, and you're wrestling with the question of, is there a God? Does He love me? I hope you hear my words today. There is a God. He does love you. He wants to be with you and he's made a way for that to be possible. Or maybe you're here this morning, you're feeling discouraged in your faith. You maybe felt like God is far off or distant. But I hope this morning you hear the witness of the word of God. The apostles and the other believers who even sit in this very room. The witness continues today that God is with you in the midst of your discouragement, in the midst of your frustration, in the midst of your heartache or difficult circumstances. God is with you. How do you respond to this message this morning? I want to give us an opportunity. I invite the worship team to come. I just want to give us an opportunity to respond to the gospel this morning. For some of us, it might be a commitment to Christ for the first time of taking that step of repentance and saying to God, yes, Lord, I, I desire your will and your way. You might still have lots of questions. That's okay. We're happy to to walk with you through those. But again, maybe this morning you're here and you're, you're feeling discouraged. I want to invite you to respond to this gospel message Just by reorienting your heart before the Lord. Repenting anew to our Father in heaven who loves us, who desires to be with us. And for all of us this morning, I think we can sit and say, Father, I want to receive these gifts from you. The gift of your forgiveness and the gift of your Holy Spirit. Would you pray to that end with me? Let's pray together. Father God, we praise you and thank you for the good news of Jesus Christ. A good news that is timeless. A good news that has endured hundreds of years. A good news that even though at times it has been abused, at times it has been misused, Lord, it still comes out as your good news. And Lord, for some of us here, maybe we have made little of it in our lives. But God, help us to see that it is the source of profound power to help us live the life that you have created us to live. And so Jesus, we sit before you this morning and we say, Lord, we want to receive that gift of forgiveness. Lord, that you come and you desire to make us new. Would you do that in our hearts this morning? And Lord, too, we sit with hands open and say, Father, help us to receive the gift of your Spirit that we would know and experience your abiding presence, that we would experience you working in and through us, Lord Jesus, we pray.